0: My title today is Acting in the Spirit of Faith, and this is the first message in a two-part series, and my subtitle today, we're going to focus on the spirit of faith, and for that we're turning to 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 13. It says, and since we have the same spirit of faith. According to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, and therefore speak. When we talk about faith, very often we focus on the Word of God. That's very important, because faith comes by hearing God's Word. And there's a whole movement over the last 30 or more years called the Word of Faith Movement. And they focus on the Word. And that's a good focus. But when we understand that the Word of faith is God's Word spoken from a heart of faith, we ask, how does that actually happen? Is it merely a mechanical repetition of Scripture? Is it merely finding a proof text that answers to any need That we find ourselves in. And there is a promise for every need we have. But is there more to it? I believe we're not we should not just speak about the word of faith, but also speak about the spirit of faith. Because you can quote the word without the spirit, and you can yell and shout as much as you please. But if you're quoting the word without the spirit, you remain powerless. Not the word, but you remain powerless. Or you can be so focused on a word that you think is absolutely applicable to you that you can be misusing Scripture. You can be missing its context. You can be missing its application in the overall purposes of God. So if you focus only on the word without the Spirit, you can be misusing the word and trying to use it in a way that God never intended you to use it. Because everything that you do and say in faith must be from the Holy Spirit. It must be initiated by the Holy Spirit, directed by the Holy Spirit, and energized by the Holy Spirit. Because if the Holy Spirit isn't in it, then we're gonna get nowhere. We can be tempted to try and use the power of God in a situation where God is not working in the way we think because without the Spirit there can be no release of God's power and God only gives power for what He is doing. If God's not in it, forget it. If He isn't doing it, we cannot do it and any attempt to will be fleshly. We'll be acting and speaking in presumption because if God has not commanded it in that situation, then he's not in it. And if we push this too far, we can actually become motivated by the wrong spirit, the wrong attitude, not the spirit of faith, not the attitude of faith, which is surrender to God's will, but in the the attitude of demandingness, trying to get, and using the promises of God for this, trying to get what we want, rather than what God is actually giving you at that moment and in the way he wants to give it to you. Push it further and you are actually in danger of using uh, the totally wrong spirit, open to the devil's way of getting what you want and compromising God's will and God's glory. We'll see all of this in a moment when we look at Jesus' temptations. But for now, let's stay with 2 Corinthians 4 and make some observations. Many people think that faith is all about getting what you want from God. And if you want a big thing, you've got to have big faith and a big scripture. You want a small thing, small faith, and a small scripture. But faith is about a relationship. It's not a mechanical, intellectual, or non-relational thing. That's why I believe that the New King James Version should use the big S rather than the small s for the spirit of faith. Did you notice that? I'm reading from the King James, New King James. It says the spirit of faith, small s, meaning the attitude of faith. And of course, we must have an attitude of faith. Our mind must be full of faith and we must be thinking God's thoughts and we must come to God with the right attitude. But I believe the Apostle Paul is not just talking about an attitude that's in us, but an operation that comes from the Holy Spirit. So I believe spirit of faith should be with a big S for the Holy Spirit. Because when you read the whole of the chapter, you find that it's all about divine supernatural faith, supernatural confidence, not just what we can do, but what God alone can enable us to do. Not just getting stuff that we want for this life, but being prepared to preach and to proclaim the Word of God when life is tough, when we're suffering, when we're being persecuted, and even as Paul, when we are in danger of losing our lives. And at such a time as that, when we are being fiercely opposed, we keep on preaching, we keep on proclaiming, and uh, because we are not living for this life, we're living for the life that is to come. And in that context, 2 Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul goes on to talk about resurrection. The resurrection of the body is our hope. If our hope is for this life, we'll be looking for what we can get from God. But if our hope is for the resurrection, we'll be willing to give to God, even lay down our lives for him, because we're not living for the blessings of this life, we're living for the hope of that better life, which is to come. And the quotation that Paul is using from Psalm 116, if you go back and read it, it is talking about David, who has come to a near-death experience And he's trusted God all the way through. He hasn't always been wonderful. There's things he said he shouldn't have said. But basically he said, even when I was saying the wrong thing, I had a confidence in God. Paul takes that, I believed, therefore I spoke. And he's talking about how we can lay hold of the purposes of God and remain faithful and confident in Him and overcome the devil under difficult circumstances. In a moment we're going to look at how the spirit of faith operated in Jesus' life. In his temptation, we find him believing God and speaking with authority. The devil would have loved to come and destroy Jesus, but Jesus took care of that with the word of God and the spirit of faith. The devil, if he couldn't destroy Jesus, would have wanted to neutralize him or divert him from his mission. But Jesus stood firm in the spirit of faith. He believed and he spoke trusting the Father, refusing to be diverted, refusing to give up His calling. In fact, He refused even the comforts of present-day things, choosing rather to glorify God rather than seek His own comfort. Let's read Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, let me pause here. I want to let you know that in the original, this isn't if you are and maybe you are, maybe you're not. This is if you are and you are. So we can translate it, since you are the son of God. Let's do it that way. He said, since you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. And he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written... He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again the the devil took him up to an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Let's learn a little bit about Jesus and his life of faith how Jesus operated in the spirit of faith generally before we come back to Matthew 4. Jesus lived a perfect life of faith. Faith being confidence in the Father's character, confidence in the Father's word. If God says it, that's it. And it means that you are prepared to trust God In every situation and trust God's word. Even when the working out of that is not very comfortable. And you have to go through many difficulties. Jesus had authority. He was anointed with untold power. Which he could have used to do anything he wanted. Have anything he wanted. But faith is not about getting what you want. It's about believing God for his will to be done, for his kingdom to come, for his purposes to be fulfilled, and not just believing that, acting accordingly, acting in the spirit of faith. Do you notice that Jesus never demanded anything for himself? He never used one miracle for his own personal advantage. He never stepped out of line to get what he wanted. And he always submitted to the Father's greater purposes. He only did what he saw the Father doing. He only said what he heard the Father saying. He was passionate, you see, about the Father's will. Never stepping out, outside of the Father's directives. And these directives didn't come just in email format, or some kind of special messenger delivery service. These instructions came out of close communion and intimacy with the Father. John 5.20 says, For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all things that He Himself does. Can you see the relationship of love that exists between the Father and the Son. And that's why Jesus spent so much time communing with his Father. Faith is all about intimacy with God. The Father speaks. The Son listens. The Son believes. The Son acts. The Father reveals his will. The Son surrenders to the will of the Father. Not in a sense of subordination with the Father and Son being equal, But nevertheless, faith is about surrender to the great plan and purposes of God. And this kind of faith is seen at every point in the gospel stories. We can think about it in the times where Jesus worked great miracles of power and authority. But he was acting by the Father's compassion. He was moved with compassion and did things that revealed the Father and furthered the Father's purposes. But I also believe that the life of faith in Jesus is seen perhaps even more clearly when Jesus was facing difficulties, a difficult situation of opposition, when he was in a time of trial, a time of testing, a time of rejection, a time of suffering, even death, and at a time of temptation. You know, this is very encouraging to me because it means the closer you get to the heart of the Father... And the more intimate you become with Him, through Christ, by the Spirit, the more you will be in the place to be able to hear and see what He's doing. In which case, you'll be in the best place to discern what the Father is doing and you will be more likely to be able to move genuinely in miraculous power. When people pray for the sick, it's not just some kind of blanket prayer. We have to discern what the Spirit is doing and flow with the Holy Spirit. And so the more intimate you are with God, the closer you are to Him, the more you're going to hear His voice, and the more you will have to offer to the lives of other people, the more power of God will be revealed in you because you will be flowing with God's will and God's purpose. But this means that we have to be extremely sensitive to exactly what the Father is doing and what will bring Him most glory. And that doesn't always mean getting what you want. We could say that faith is trusting God enough to surrender to His will, especially in difficult times, and acting accordingly. That's the real spirit of faith at work. So let's have a look at this in this temptation story. We see that Jesus was led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This tells us something. I, I, I wonder really who was attacking whom, because it's clear that the devil wanted to come against Jesus, but Jesus was thrust out to meet the devil, and really the devil comes off second best. So this is Jesus searching out the devil and serving notice on the devil. But it is a real temptation. And uh, the gospel writer shows us that this first temptation anyway came at a very weak point, physically speaking, in Jesus' fast. It was around 40 days. And if you are on a fast, not eating food, something happens to your body around 40 days. Medically, as I've, I've looked this up from around 21 days right the way through to 40 days, maybe 50 days, there is a period when your body starts to fight back and send very strong signals, feed me or you and I are going to part company. (laughs) And uh, this, when he says, after 40 days, Jesus hungered, this isn't the the kind of um, little stirrings you feel here, the kind of little gnawing feeling when you've missed breakfast and it's already a bit late for lunch. That is more like your appetite. When you've been on a long fast, actually that initial appetite and, and, and desire for food, and with your body is saying, it's, it's breakfast time, feed me, it's lunchtime, feed me, that dies down after a few days. And for the, for the rest of that fast, you are hungry, but it's not that real conscious sense in your body. Because your body then kicks into another mode and starts using up, various ways in which you've stored energy. We won't go into that right now, but you know, do you eat your fat? Anyway, all right. So, But then when that's done, the body says, there's nothing else, no more reserves. So the body fights back by giving you a very strong craving for food. And it is very dangerous to deny that craving at that time. The hunger that comes back is a survival mechanism of your human body. And Jesus was at that point, when he was hungry, it wasn't just he's missed breakfast. This is now his body saying, feed me or you're going to die. And so at that point, the devil waited to that point of physical weakness to attack Jesus and tempt him to have breakfast. But also at this time, Jesus would have been very strong spiritually. 40 years of communion with the Father, 40, 40 years, 40 days of communion with the Father. If you fast for 40 days, it seems like 40 years, that's for sure. 40 days of fellowship with the Father. And therefore, he was directed and empowered by God to face the devil. He could discern in a flash Every subtle, deceptive temptation coming from the devil. And he was forewarned and forearmed with the word of God to fight at every level. In the same way, when God allows us to be tempted, don't think that God doesn't allow us to be tempted. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10 that... When we, James, when we are tempted, we're not tempted uh, by God. We're drawn away by our own lusts in James. But in 1 Corinthians 10, it says that God will not allow us to be tempted above what we're able. And he will always give us the ability to pass through and be victorious in that temptation. So this tells us that all of this is in the hand of God. But the devil waits his opportunity. That's why we got to be ready to know where our weaknesses are. Maybe it's when we're feeling physically low. Maybe it's when we're feeling emotionally low. And when we're most likely to yield as a result of that weakness, whether it's physical, emotional, or moral. And we need to build our defenses in advance, but always fight with the spirit of faith. The first temptation was all about the temptation to abuse the power of God. That's the first temptation. Verse 3, Since you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. No miracle is ever about abusing the power of God. It's always using the power of God by the direction of the Holy Spirit so that God is glorified and His purposes are furthered. That's why we must always ask the Father, in what way does He want to be glorified? Whether it's in an answer to prayer that gives us what we want or in a way that may may include some form of denial so that God may be glorified. And this takes the kind of wisdom and discernment that only come from intimate fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Next week in the second part of this message, I will talk about wisdom, moving in the wisdom of the Spirit. But it takes wisdom to know and to discern in a situation what God is doing. But certainly it means this, you can never use the power of God according to your own will, your own purposes, or your own comforts. You can only surrender to the will of God. And every attempt at showy, self-glorifying, egotistical methods of, 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 of trying to use the power of God draws attention away from God. And often all that's left is a display of human, human ego, not a genuine showing of God's power. And this kind of thing results in a fleshly form of hype making false promises to people. I tell you, God's going to do a mighty thing in your life. What mighty thing? He's going to heal you. I declare you healed in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Let's have some testimonies. One of my very good friends who knows, knew a lot, about moving, a lot about moving and the power of God, God used him mightily in miracles, told me the story of he was in a meeting and he was, felt so full of faith and he was speaking forth over people's lives and there was a man seated in a wheelchair and he felt... Sudden surge of confidence, which he thought was faith. Sudden surge of confidence. He pointed at the man in the wheelchair saying, I tell you, stand up. And the man said, I can't. He said, I tell you in Jesus' name, stand up. He said, I can't. What's the matter with you? I tell you God is healing you right now. Stand up, stand up. And the man said, please don't laugh. The man said, I haven't got any legs. (laughs) No, don't laugh. No. I don't have any legs. And my friend afterwards reflected, he said, I was not in the Spirit. Because if I had been in the Spirit, whether the man had legs or not, he would have stood. Do you understand? There's no limit to God's power, but you've got to be moving in the Holy Spirit, not just thinking about some general word of healing that, will, that is supposed to one size fits all. So, that's why you must always ask the Father. Always flow in the Spirit of wisdom as well as the Spirit of faith. You can't use the power of God at will, and all kinds of attempts to do so leads to a lot of damage. And, and, and in many ways, it, it's, it's totally not glorifying to God. Think about it for a moment. Jesus had the power to make those stones bread. He did. But to do it would have been to work against the Father. Jesus was not about to take suggestions from the devil. But he left the timing and the manner in which he was to break his fast up to the Father. To put it in modern English, he said, no way, devil, I'm not going to breakfast with you. I'm going to breakfast with my Father, not with you. And anyway, food is more than physical I'm following the Father's directives. I'm feeding on the Word of God and He will tell me when it's time to break my fast and I would rather have fellowship with Him. Don't want to have fellowship with you. Jesus could. He needed it in His own body. But He said, no, I will not use the power of God for my own purposes. And I'm prepared even to allow myself to feel very uncomfortable because I trust God. Second temptation was about faith versus presumption. Verse uh, 6. Since you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. There he is in the pinnacle of the temple. Throw yourself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. In other words, Jesus said, here's a scripture for you, Jesus. It fits you totally. It was written just for you, So whatever happens, whatever you do, you're going to be safe. So now, jump off the pinnacle of the temple here in Jerusalem. Everybody will see it. They will marvel. They will glorify and say, surely you are the Son of God. Surely you are Messiah. And Jesus said, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. There's a world of difference between faith and presumption. Faith never presumes, but always asks God, before acting because faith isn't about a non-relational mechanistic application of scripture here's a scripture, stand on here's a scripture brother, stand on it no, every promise has its own time its own season for fulfillment and its own context for fulfillment we read in the gospels many times Jesus being rescued they couldn't arrest him until it was the right time People came to arrest Jesus. They were arrested by His words. Why didn't you arrest Him? Oh, we forgot. Nobody spoke like this. Times when they wanted to kill Him, Jesus walked right the way through. The Scripture was fulfilled, but in God's way, in God's time. So we've got to look at the original context of the, of the Scripture and its appropriate application in the greater plan of God. You can so easily act on a promise and fall on your face because you've missed the context both of the promise and the purpose to which God gave that promise. Ask the Father, Is this time on the promise? What is your purpose for me right now? That's the spirit of faith. Acting on a promise without the Father means stepping outside of His will and it's presumption and it's dangerous. There was a man who attached himself to Kensington Temple many years ago. He was an epileptic. He came for prayer He was prayed for and told, do not stop taking your medicine. Go back to a doctor. And a doctor here, one of our church board members, Tyro, is is nodding his head. Go back to the doctor. Anyway, it's a greater testimony. Let the doctor say, your epilepsy is cured. There's no epilepsy. You don't need this medication. He was presumptuous. He went home, did not take his medicine, had a bath, had a fit, and drowned. Presumption. This is dangerous stuff if you're presumptuous. It was not God's purpose that Jesus proved that he was Messiah in this manner, this showy leaping off a tall building without a bungee rope or without some kind of hang gliding uh, utility. Uh, And and, uh, it was ultimately very showy, but an inappropriate miracle. This was not how the Father willed that Jesus' Messiahship should be revealed. It was not His way. When you read the, the Gospels, you find that the Messiahship of Jesus is revealed over a period of time, and it is not really until the resurrection that He was declared openly to be the Son of God with power. And really, it will not be till Jesus returns again when every eye shall see him and realize that he is Lord. So there is a timetable of demonstrating the Messiahship of Jesus. This would have been highly presumptuous of Jesus to act on the devil's suggestion, thinking that's a good idea. He can shortcut all of that. Everybody will accept me as Messiah. Anyway, God rarely acts in such spectacular ways as to make faith unnecessary. Faith is always necessary. Miracles are never given to replace faith. They're given so that people can ask questions and say, Well, who is this? How can this be? And begin to seek God for themselves because they're hungry for the truth. The third temptation was about compromising in order to get what you want. Verse 8. Again the devil took him on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you fall down and worship me. Now the devil isn't using some subtle insinuation about attacking Jesus as his physical weakness. Neither was he quoting scripture in the hopes that Jesus would step out of the plan of God and claim a promise for himself. Now we really get down to it. Every temptation, when you trace it right back to its roots, is all about this. The devil is saying, I'll give you comfort. I'll give you satisfaction but you've got to serve me. And many, many Christians who are looking for satisfaction and comfort will justify all kinds of ungodly behavior and even behavior that is directly attributable to the devil's plan for their life contrary to the word of God, contrary to the plan of God because that course of action makes them feel good. Verse 10, then Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only you shall serve. Jesus is certainly using the word of God. So there is a word of faith, but there's a spirit of faith. A spirit of faith that's operating. So every temptation to assert yourself, when it comes to claiming God's promises... Or attempting exploits of faith. It has one thing in common. Every temptation is to compromise your commitment to live for God. To love Him. To pursue Him. To worship Him alone. No matter what the results. No matter what the outcome. That's the kind of faith that we need in today's generation. Not faith is about getting stuff from God, but faith that says, I'm going to serve God and there's going to be miracles and wonderful things happen on the way. But the bottom line is, does this bring glory to my Father? Is this part of His greater plan? Not just seizing on a promise that we enjoy and demanding that God fulfill it. So at the root of this kind of temptation is the desire to get what you want as quickly Easily and as painlessly as possible. Think about it. The devil was claiming to say, I'll give you all the kingdoms. You don't have to go to the cross. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to be rejected. Just worship me and I'll give it all to you now. Sometimes this kind of behavior is disguised. It's not open, shameless selfishness, but it's disguised by false spirituality. Let me give you an example. You know, and I've heard many, many preachers say this. God has promised me a glorious destiny in my life and ministry. He has made me the head, not the tail. And you know, I've heard so many preachers say he's made me the head, not the tail. I, all I can say is put the preachers together, you've got a pretty big head. <laughs> he will make my enemies to sit at my feet. okay. Okay. Some of those promises are good, but but when we're looking at them so that we become something, so that we become great, we've forgotten what Jesus said. If you want to be great in the kingdom of God, you've got to be the servant of all. Now it is true that the promises of great destiny is very often God's way for us. He's a big God. If you're going to partner with God, get ready for big plans, big dreams, because God has a very big dream for you. It's the biggest dream ever. And the dream is this, is that you become conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. Christ be formed in you. What a miracle. There's only one miracle greater than that, is that you should be saved from the pains of death and hell and live with God forever in eternity. That's the biggest miracle. Second miracle is that Christ should be formed in us. That's his purpose. It's not for our glory. It's for his glory. There is no room for pride, egotism, or any form of self-assertion. This temptation proves that Jesus was not out for himself. He wasn't prepared to get the glory painlessly. There was no shortcut that bypassed the cross to get the crown. There was no human effort in which he just said, God, it's okay, I'll sort this one out. I'll do it my way. And so often we think that through human effort, human means, and sometimes a big spiritual uh, pretense that goes on. I will shout louder when I pray. I will quote more scripture at God. I'll twist his arm. I'll go on hunger strike and call it a spiritual fast. The Bible says, let patience have its perfect work. Even Jesus learned obedience by the things he suffered. Anyway, Satan's a liar. There can be no crown without the cross. He was saying, Jesus, you can have it all. Satan didn't have that power. Read Daniel 4, not just Matthew 4, Daniel 4. There is a sense in which Satan had an illegal, rebellious kingdom in which he claimed to have all kinds of possessions and power and all that kind of stuff. But when it comes down to it, Only God lifts up. Only God can hand on honor and kingdom authority and kingdom possessions. These things belong to God, not to the devil to dispose of as he wills. The the devil can only do what he does, have what he has, under the overall permission of God for a season. Jesus refused this temptation and and, 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 and chose to worship God alone. He also stayed with the program. Apart from just saying, no, I'm not going to surrender to you, Satan, and worship you. In fact, you, you, you've gone one step too far. I'm going to destroy you. Jesus had the power to destroy the devil there and then. But if he did that, he said, okay, Satan, that's it. You're finished. I destroy you. He had the power to destroy the devil. He could have done that, but he refused to do it because if he'd done it there and then and not gone to the cross, we would be still dead in our sins. He endured that for you and for me. He chose the cross. He would not abandon the Father's program. Not just the Father's objective, but the Father's program. He says, I'm going to fulfill the Father's objective. I'm going to glorify the Father. And the path for me is the way of the cross. And then I'll enter my glory. And I'll have a whole lot more with me as well. Because that's the path of redemption. So, let's conclude then. Let's look at what we've learned about moving in the spirit of faith. All the way through, Jesus kept in step with the Spirit. He kept in touch with the Father. That's where it all begins. That's why he was not only able to believe, but also speak the word with the Father's authority. The Holy Spirit also leads us into the life of faith in the same way, by working in us. Not just an intellectual grasp or a fail-safe mechanism by which we can be sure that we can have what we want when we want it. There's no mechanism here. There's no formula. As a, a scuba diver, we have to know our equipment very well and we have a regulator which dispenses air for us to breathe underwater. And this, this regulator is very clever because it dispenses air at the ambient pressure. You can breathe normally. And the question is, we always ask when we are training, what happens if it fails? And it's so designed that if it fails, I've never seen one fail yet, but if it fails, Amanda, just so you're not worried about this, if it fails, it always fails safe. And we have to do exercises to to uh, simulate a regulator breathing apparatus failure. And what it does, instead of giving you air when you breathe, it shoots out air continuously, producing a bubble of air that you can just sip on and just gradually rise to the surface. You will never, ever drown because your regulator has failed. It's fail-safe. People think that there's a fail-safe mechanism. All I need to do is find a verse. Don't even have to pray much about it. In fact, even to pray about it is unbelief. I'll just speak it out. I'll act on it and uh, it will be fail-safe. No, God is not a mechanism. God's a person. You enter that in relationship. You ask God. And the Holy Spirit will lead you not just to an intellectual grasp of Scripture or even mere a mechanistic grasp of Scripture, but a relational understanding of who God is, what He wants to do, what He's achieving for you right now, and what He's giving you authority to do. The Spirit will always keep us focused on the greater purposes of God for His greater glory, not our comfort or our immediate satisfaction. The Holy Spirit therefore reveals to us the heart, the mind, the will of God and brings us into the fulfillment of God's promises in keeping with His purposes. Could the musicians come back up at this time? In particular, it's the Holy Spirit who prepares our hearts like soil to receive the word of faith. So that takes deep root in us, controls us from the inside out and begins to bear fruit in due season. He works through the Word as the Word is implanted in our hearts. God's Word cannot be in your mouth until it's in your heart. And He informs our minds so we have this attitude of faith, spirit of faith with a small s, as well as the spirit of faith with a big s. And also He will enliven our imagination. All of our human faculties surrendered to the Holy Spirit so we can look and see amazing visions and revelations as our imagination is stimulated by genuine Holy Spirit activity. And then we walk in step with the Holy Spirit. Moving in faith, not being ahead of the Spirit or lagging behind so that at every moment in the right season, faith, It's manifested, and God is manifested in our lives according to His plan and purpose. But last, the most important of all, we never come into our destiny by asserting ourselves and avoiding the cross. Let's begin to pray. I recall a scripture that says, Jesus through the eternal spirit offered himself to God. That's the spirit of faith. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for every good thing that you've promised. And we know that not one of your promises will fail. No good thing will you withhold from those who walk uprightly. And we thank you that the spirit of faith will educate us to lay hold of the promises of God and the provisions of God. But that is not the bottom line. Father, if it means that we have to delay and suffer... Because you have a greater plan and purpose, we know that nothing that you have said, not one word, will fall to the ground. Help us, Lord, walk in step with the Holy Spirit and do what only you can do through the enabling of your Holy Spirit in our lives. Thank you, Jesus.